believe it or not, you are listening to Michael Easley in Context. I'm your co-host, Hannah Seymour, and yes, this is Michael Easley in Context. As you know, Michael is my dad, and I grew up in a house where we called him the Grinch. I have sort of adopted the Grinch personality myself. My dad is married to my mom, who we call a Christmas monster. I am also married to a man who is another form of a Christmas monster. So we like to try to level the playing field and, you know, keep the Christmas spirit down as much as possible. No, I kid. But we do have a very special episode today with a ton of fabulous Christmas music. Michael is in the studio with a dear friend, Dave Gazarian, who goes by David Ian as his artist name. And you are in for a total treat hearing from Dave and Michael and some amazing jazz Christmas tunes. Well, today I'm having a blast. I'm actually in Dave Gazarian's home studio. How about that? This is cool it's digs, man. not that man. exciting, is it? <laughs> well, for you, maybe. But, you know, for, for those who listen to music but don't get into a studio, I mean, there's a lot of romance around it, but this is where it happens. This is yeah. where Dave Gazarian becomes the creative musician. Yeah, and it's not as glamorous as everyone always thinks. You think you're going into this crazy-looking place that's a sterile studio. It's pretty crazy-looking. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little crazy-looking. <laughs> I couldn't make it look too normal. Let's go back. How does a you're, you're not Canadian, Dave Kazarian is a well accoladed musician. He was a founding member of the Grammy nominated band Super Chick. He spent time as a lead guitarist for Rebecca St. James and Audio Adrenaline. And as previously mentioned, and what most of this interview is going to talk about, he is most recently known for critically acclaimed jazz recordings under his artist name David Ian. Michael and Dave started this interview talking a lot about his background. He was born to Armenian parents. They were both born and bred in Egypt. They moved to Canada where Dave was born. Eventually he comes to the States. He graduated pharmacy school. He had a great plan B, but music was his life's calling and passion. If you want to hear more about Dave's story of his journey coming into music full time, we had an interview with Dave several years ago and it is on our website, an interview with Dave Gazarian. I'll make sure it's posted in the show notes, but we are going to jump forward in his conversation with Michael today to specifically talk about his Christmas jazz recordings. So all along, you've got this jazz thing in your heart. It's still, still stirring. Yep. While we were touring for years, at some point, uh, instead of sleeping in, like a lot of musicians do, and I, I was guilty of doing that and just, you know, spending a lot of your day just kind of going to coffee shops and things like that. I decided, you know what, I'm going to get my keyboard, drag it in the dressing room, and work on my music. I, I need to get back into this jazz thing because it's, you know, I've been, I've kind of left this for a while. Um, I've always want, I've always had a passion for Christmas music. I know this sounds weird. Uh, a lot of the jazz that I grew up listening to was Christmas jazz. And who were who some of the artists? Well, the biggest one was Vince Guaraldi, the Christmas, the yeah. Charlie Brown Christmas. And you version. can hear that, and and you can hear some of his influence in your in your music. I hope so. Well, I, I guess that's just natural because I listened to it so much. I, I wore that record out, um, and so I had just always my goal was to to record my own jazz Christmas record. So I kind of just started sketching out ideas on the road. Um, at some point. I just, uh, and this was after I was married, I told my wife Grace, I said, you know, I got to finish this record this year. We were um, 
having a less busy year touring, although it was still pretty, pretty steady. And I said, I've just got to focus all the rest of my efforts. And I, I said, I don't know why I'm going to do this. I'm going to just stop doing everything else and do this. And, and there was no logical reason because it was not like somebody was waiting for me to do this record. Somebody was demanding me to do this record or anything. I just, it was something I felt I needed to do and I was passionate about. So um, I spent the better part of a year and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do with it when it's done, but I'm going to, it's kind of something we learned along the way. Instead of just having an idea to tell people, you know, this is my great idea and trying to get people behind it, you really have to just show them because people don't, I feel like they don't have as, as much vision for what you have a vision for. Now, now, from my experience with pastors, authors, artists, mm -hmm. what you just said is pretty rare because most of us are the path of least resistance. We're not willing to pull the keyboard into the closet and start working on it. We're not, you know, we're, we don't have that uh, initiative and, and drive to say, I'm a, uh, Jerry Jenkins, who's a dear friend, uh, tells people the number one question he's asked is, how do you write a book? <laughs> and he says, you got to meet a deadline. Mm -hmm. and for, forget the art, the grammar, the style, the uh, creative inspiration. You got to hit a deadline. <laughs> and, and Jerry will tell you, sit down and get on your word processor and write. Write so many words a day, so many pages a week, set some goals. And he, and he would talk about when he was vice president of uh, publishing at Moody. He said, you know, there were, there were two kinds of authors. Those who met deadlines and those who didn't. Right. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> and and there's got to be some truth in what you just said about, I'm going to get this done. Yeah, and it's it's the hardest when you are making your own deadline. That That's the hardest because that's why I feel like a lot of people have to go to school um, because they have deadlines. You have to get it done. You're paying someone to make you do something yeah, you wouldn't and I feel do like and, that's, and hit a calendar date. Yeah. That's what a lot of school is. And if... Um, I've always, uh, and, and I've heard you say this a lot before, before, write things down, like paper, pencil. I've been, for my whole life, been big on making lists. Um, mm -hmm. And as long as it's on that piece of paper, it exists and it needs to get done. And before it gets written down, it doesn't mean anything. It's, just, it's not even an idea. Right. Yeah. So um, this was on my list for years, and I'm like, I got to get that. Th I got to put a pencil line through that. I got to get this done. But it is, it is hard to self-motivate yourself, I admit. Um, but what so, I— So let me, let me interrupt. Encourage somebody who's listening to you. Um, they they want to write a book. They want to write a song. They want to, you know, pick up an instrument. Uh, how do you encourage them, Dave? Well, the, the way I, I saw this— um, come to uh, fruition in my life is, is just when I started doing this, I said, I'm just going to decide to do this every day. I'm going to work on an idea and I might not have all day. I might not, I might have 20 minutes one day to work on it. If I can just come up with one idea a day or one or two ideas a day, you think that's, and it, it might just be a phrase and you think, well, that's not going to write a book. That's not going to make an album. By the end of a tour, when I did a little idea or two a day that built on each other, I looked back and I said, I have a skeleton of an album here. Wow. I can finish this thing in another couple months. Wow. Um, and that's the thing that amazes me. Sometimes when you sit down to do something all at one time, whatever your inspiration is at that moment, there's only so much you can get out. Right. And, and if you try to finish it right then, um, it might not feel very inspired. Well, it's like cramming for an essay yeah. 
versus you know noodling on it, rewriting it, rereading it, coming out different. Yeah. And when I was on tour, it would be a different place, different city, different dressing room every day, and I'd get an idea, and it might have been inspired by something on the wall or something that I saw that day in a different environment. And all those things collaborating together um, over time, a little bit, little bit a day. You don't think it adds up, but man, it really does. We're gonna offer your uh, three, uh, four CD package actually, but three that are under the name David Ian. Give us a little snapshot of, of each of these uh, Christmas David Ian jazz CDs. Well, the first one is called David Ian Vintage Christmas, and that was just because that was what I was uh, really trying to achieve. I was trying to achieve a vintage, old-sounding Christmas record. I was not really interested in something that sounded new or modern. Um, that one just, again, that was the first record I decided to just kind of finish that year. I did finish it. By the time I finished it, um, I was kind of trying to give it to people that I thought might have some influence to put it somewhere, to get it somewhere. Because I do, you know, we had contacts, but it doesn't necessarily mean that anyone's going to be interested in a, in a yeah. Christmas record. Um, so through some contacts, it, it, it met, you know, it, it got in the hands of somebody at a, at a pretty big jazz label. And the uh, guy that was uh, A&R there, whoever was, was handling that, listened to it and he said, we want to release this this year. And just the course of events, uh, I had to start a record company and figure out how to release my own record in about two weeks. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so that was the first record. And, Which, um, by the way, Cindy, it's her favorite new CD for the last few oh, years. Man. She listens uh, to it so, over and over and over and over. Oh, man, I'm, I'm honored to know that. that thank you very much. Um, so that record, uh, that's how that came to be, and surprisingly had a lot of uh, success on iTunes. It was like the number one, had a lot of number one tracks, number one record, in, especially in Canada, U.S. for a couple of weeks in the jazz genre, which is a smaller genre, but I was very um, fortunate to have had that opportunity to do that. Um, so that's that record. It's a collaboration of uh, half the tracks are instrumental, Christmas. Half the tracks have guest vocalists of people that I've toured with that um, are really talented vocalists that really fit that genre well. Um, there's both like traditional Christmas hymns and other just popular Christmas songs on there. I know it's unfair to ask the question, what's your favorite track on that CD? I think it's the opener. Um, uh, it's um, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which is just a classic. And um, Acacia, who was the, the vocalist that sang on that, I think that that song just came together and just kind of, I think once we heard that kind of come together as it did, realized that, okay, this is going to work. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas Make the Yuletide gay From now on our troubles will be miles away So you've got that one published in what year was it? Oh, I think it was 2011. Vintage. Okay. Uh, man, I'm losing track. <laughs> well, but you've produced, I mean, total, counting with Peter, four 
Christmas seat records, records yeah. now, which from 11 to 18, that's a lot of work. More work than you know, especially when, you know, I'm doing everything, everything from producing to performing to putting musicians together, setting up sessions. Yeah. So. Okay. Just a little side, you know, almost a post-it note. The artwork is so cool. Oh, it is cool. And, and I, I wish I could take credit for that. There's a guy, Jeremy Morgan, um, who um, was a, an acquaintance of ours that is an architect and this was an acquaintance from California. He is he does architecture a lot in the vein of some of the art that you're seeing um, on the album covers. And we just thought this guy might be interested <laughs> in doing a record cover for us. And so uh, it's not something he did routinely. He was an architect. He, he designs houses and things so, like that. Yeah. So he had a blast doing it, in other words. I hope he did. Oh, I think he did. He did. Um, yeah. Of course, you know, we're always back and forth. And we're like, well, can we change this a little bit? Uh, but I think I think he did, and I know he was incredible at doing it. I mean, if if you see the artwork, I just um, it has. You know, it. you've used the word genre several times, and you know, in my world of literary genre, you know, there's a type, you know, Chaucer romance, you know, pop fiction. We could talk about genre and music, but what 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 he did with jazz with your music was it was that was the perfect art representation. It was a very mid-century yeah. uh, kind of feel. Fun. And still a little bit current. New. I mean, yeah, yeah new. Yeah. And there was a new twist to it. And, and something about that artwork just really meshed well with it, that. It did click. Yeah. So the second one? Second one was just an EP. I wanted to continue doing the, okay, the, the for, music. Okay, for the non-music folks, huh? an EP is... It's just a extended play extended is what... Play. Offic officially extended play, which... It's kind of ironic because it's actually shorter. <laughs> right, right. It's like three songs <laughs> yeah, to five so, yeah. songs. So this yeah. one is five songs. And um, that one is just uh, a shorter version. It was um, it was very similar in a lot of ways. I felt like I did a little bit more, uh, I took a little more risks on uh, stacking some more vocals and things like that. Um, so that was the second one, Vintage Christmas Wonderland. And your favorite track on that? I know, unfair question, but... Um, you know, I think... Because it was so different from what I was doing, Jingle Bells, believe it or not, um, has a kind of a cool sound on that one. Dashing through the snow, you know, one horse open sleigh, or the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bobtails ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to laugh and sing a slaying song tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells. 2014, this is the Peter Furler Christmas, featuring David Ian. So at that time, I was um, touring, and still am, um, playing concerts with uh, Peter Furler, who is the former singer of the Newsboys. He's doing a lot of solo um, concerts now, and so we're on the road, and he knows my Christmas music from what I've showed him, and he loved that sound, so he wanted a record for himself that was very similar, so we decided to collaborate and do a Christmas record. So I did uh, one for him that, that he called... Peter Furler Christmas, and um, this is almost entirely uh, Christmas hymns, like traditional 
Christmas hymns that uh, many of you would be familiar with. God rest ye merry gentlemen, it came upon a midnight clear, we three kings, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Now you've got a spoken word track on here. I've got two spoken word tracks. Um, we were really um, interested in the meaning of Christmas because if, if you notice all the song titles, a lot of them talk about the, the birth of Christ or just very centered around um, uh, the theme, the true theme of Christmas, which which we know. And um, we thought it would be really cool to um, somehow tell the story of Christmas. How are we going to do that musically? Because, yeah, you know, we didn't necessarily want to write a new Christmas song. Right. Um, so we thought of the idea of um, collaborating all the scriptures uh, for one track from the Old Testament, which is crazy. This, I mean, doing this really kind of brought a new light to me how much, well, how entirely the Old Testament really just leads to the birth of Christ um, and the coming of Christ. And just doing this was an incredible challenge and, and, and uh, education just for me too, mm-hmm. just compiling um, and working together with um, some pastor friends that I had that um, were really interested in taking this on and, and um, making sure that we kept it in a good context um, from everything from Abraham before he was even yes. called Abraham. <laughs> I, I love that you used that uh, text when Hannah were listening to the, to the uh, spoken word tracks. I love that you started with the Abrahamic covenant. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, It is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. The Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son, and I will establish his throne forever. Yeah, and I thought um, the way we were able to collaborate and edit that together from Mm -hmm. Scripture... Um, was in an artistic way to kind of really show the listener in a very short amount of time how Old Testament events really led. We called it um, ancient writings is what we call it. Um, Now, you have a very unusual, I could say unique instrument that opens. Yeah, since we were on the topic of ancient and uh, old, um, and being that I'm Armenian, by by heritage, not uh, Armenian, not Armenian. Armenian. Yeah, as far as <laughs> Let's like get that straight. <laughs> as versus Greek or Lebanese. Or, yeah, exactly. Um, that is uh, the duduk is the instrument, and you'll notice duduk. that may be one of the most ancient instruments as well. I'm not sure of exactly. What's it look history. like? Um, it looks like kind of um, maybe like an oboe or clarinet or something. It's, it's like a reed instrument, mm-hmm. and if you've ever heard any old soundtracks, if you've watched old. Um, movies from biblical times or similar like Eastern, Middle Eastern movies, you'll probably hear this instrument. I think Bourne, one of the Bourne movies, when he's in one of his 
global spots it's one of a background piece they use i'm i'm po i'm positive you, yeah that's probably what you're hearing and so that really is a beautiful instrument that incorporates that in there and of course on all of these cds you're doing a lot of things besides engineering and producing you're playing piano you're playing uh, uh, uh guitar your wife is singing back up on these songs she did sing on that record on the uh -huh. peter furler record she uh -huh. did some beautiful background vocals yeah. so Again, one of the reasons Hannah and I wanted to do this at Christmas time, because talking through your work and your art, um, this is a great, not only a gift, but it's a great recalibration for people to go back to why why the celebration, why Christmas. Uh, I mean, Christmas music is almost a cliche. Right. But you said, I want to do something different. I want to, I want to use my love for jazz and bring this old, old message in a new way with a genre called jazz. How do you put these together? Well, this was the first way, um, just doing this record and finally being able to really incorporate scripture into it, which was really cool. Um, not only, like we said, Old Testament leading up to, to Christ, but then, you know, we also did a spoken word of the New Testament, which was just the actual birth of Christ, that story, um, over a, a bed of Christmas music. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This was a great opportunity for me, and I was really thankful for this ability to kind of use the gifts and what I've been developing and doing over the years to really try to create, I guess, a condensed message of Christmas from all the way Old Testament to New Testament. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we're on to our next one, which is? Was when I decided to do a completely instrumental uh, record, which is called Vintage Christmas Trio, David Ian Vintage Christmas Trio. There it is. And so that's fully instrumental, and you will recognize hopefully all those Deck songs. Deck the on Halls, there. It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, Joy of the World, White Christmas. Uh, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. What a great song. We Three Kings on a Housetop, Silver Bells, and Come All Ye Faithful. Again, for the for the non-music uh, friends of ours in context and those who listen to the podcast, um, engineering and production is different today. You're not all in a, in a cool-looking studio with wood floors and a high ceiling and lots of wires on the floor and drinking coffee and leaning over boards. It's done in a very different way. Yeah, well, it can be. It can, be, it can still be done that way, right. and uh, sometimes it's a lot of fun doing it that way. Um, but sometimes 
people are not in the same place at the same time. Sometimes they're not even the same city. Um, we did kind of a, these records were kind of a collaboration of everything. So, so John Estes and Josh Hunt were not in the same room with you. They you they played um, together though. They did okay. play together. Yeah. In some cases, and on certain tracks, they played separately. So it really varied depending on what the track needed and what was appropriate and what was available. Really. So, so then that comes to you as the producer in this case, an yeah. engineer, and you're taking uh, files that they're sending you. Right. And you're sitting behind your computer screen in your in your production booth, and you're making it work. I'm making it work. Of course, I can't take the credit for mixing and mastering right. any of this right. stuff. But really, uh, arranging-wise, we'd get together. Sometimes with these guys, I'd get together ahead of time. We'd put some ideas together. And yeah, what you do is you All put right, it in. So give us the primer, again, for the non-music industry folks. Arranging, production, engineering, mastering. Yeah, give it us, all sounds the of, same. Well, well, give us kind of the one, two, three. Help us understand. Well... You get an idea. It's kind of what I was doing on the road. And if you have a computer or something to kind of record into, you can just demo ideas. You get an arrangement that works. You kind of get the guys to come over and see if what you have in your head is actually going to work on paper or on tape. Or I guess we don't use tape anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and now at this point, there's cross-pollination. You're going, what about this, Dave? Or what about this? Yeah, a lot of times yeah. there, there'll be some give and take there. And that, that ends up being a demo. So when you have something that you feel like is working, it sounds like, okay, I like the way this sounds. We're going to make this a record. That's your demo. From there, you kind of record it for real. You kind of try to get better sounds. You try to get a better take. You try to polish it. And sometimes when you do that, you lose something, believe it or not. Mm. In some cases, we did that with vocal demos even. When we had recorded stuff in dressing rooms, which was not a good environment with not an ideal mic, um, we had recorded some vocal takes, and when we came to redo it for real, quote, um, in the studio, we lost something. Interesting. And in some cases, I salvaged those old files yeah. and just dropped them in, and we used them. So that's always what we call also demoitis. In some cases, some people will call that demoitis, and they'll they'll criticize the producer or the artist for having demoitis because they're so stuck, stuck on your original that, idea that right. even though most people would agree that the new thing you recorded is better you're like no i that's how it sounds that's what it needs that's to sound like yeah. so yeah. so you demo it you record it for real and then um an engineer usually helps you do that in a studio where you have maybe some better mics and better audio you then mix it so it you know the levels are what you want it sounds kind of the way you want it to sound and then you have it overall mastered and hopefully then you're ready to release it so from the first time you wrote it on your computer to the time it was printed on the cd about how many iterations would you guess oh some of these songs went through 30 different versions yeah, yeah. And, and it's amazing to go back to some of the early versions going what was i thinking <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I want folks to understand is, is, you know, we've been here now 10 plus years in Music City. And I'm still trying to figure out, you know, artists and how they work and the creativity. And yet there, there's such a science behind mm -hmm. so much of this art that I think we don't understand. And, and I think what I've been trying to do over the years, you know, we, we played, I played rock and roll for many years. And you just basically layer a lot of instruments and you just make it sound really big. I was trying to make these records sound very intimate very small, very cozy, um, 
simple, so it's just three instruments for the most part, sometimes a fourth. And when you hear it, it sounds very simple, but sometimes when you strip it down to the simple, it, it, I, what I discovered in the process is it makes it a lot harder because everything's exposed. Everything has to work and fit together just right or every, it, it, you won't, um, it won't sound right. And um, you can't hide anything. So sometimes the most simple things are the hardest things. Talk to us a little bit about your walk with Christ and as a jazz musician, your dad said, do it unto the Lord. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the next phase for me. I, um, I just like I didn't know what I was going to do when I started, we started Super Chick and, you know, what, what came of it, um, we were just so thankful for. Didn't know what was going to happen when I finished this Christmas album. And, you know, we saw a lot of fruit from that. My next phase is, you know, taking my jazz music and making it my own. I'm, like I said, my Armenian roots lend themselves to a very um, folk music from Armenia that I've always had also a, a passion for. Um, you hear some of that in the Peter Furler record. And um, my hope is to kind of merge the jazz that I like and merge some of those folk uh, melodies that I've grown up with in the Armenian culture and create something unique and do and and like I said you you um I just trust God that what the next phase is if I always have that in mind of somehow reaching a community with that music that um those doors are going to open as I'm always open to the idea of mm-hmm. of uh, giving that message David on Vintage Christmas Wonderland which was your 2013 release mm-hmm. take us through uh, Angels we have heard on high that I distinctly remember the arrangement process when I came up with the idea. Uh, my wife Grace and I we were in our condo in Chicago, which we usually used, we used to retreat to a condo we had uh, in the winter when it was snowy out. Of course, and beautiful. makes sense, and, yeah. And it's really nice because it's warm inside, and you can see all the snow outside, but you don't have to deal with all that. You're <laughs> a reverse snowbird. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Yeah, and I still love love seeing snow. But I remember we were we were just there retreating, and I was writing some of these arrangements and that one distinctly i remember it was late night just seeing the snow outside and just hoping to create kind of like an angelic truly an angelic kind of feeling that still felt like this cold cozy christmas time um which is the message of that song angels we have heard on high and just um try to bring it to a new light i think uh, musically at least and uh, I just distinctly remember the creative process in that and just landing on kind of some melodies and ideas and just wanting to listen to it over and over again and just thinking, wow, this this is taking me somewhere. Mm. I feel like we're in the, kind of in an angelic place. And that, that's really what I was hoping to create um, with that, just to kind of go with the theme of the music. And sometimes uh, that's our gauge. I, I talk with my wife about this. If It's your gauge. If you want to keep hearing it over and over again. That's a winner. It's a winner. Yeah. Uh, when you're trying to convince yourself that, I think I like this. <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> not uh, so much. <laughs> not so much. It means you need to keep working on that. Um, but that one was, and, and a lot of them came that way, but that one distinctly, I just really wanted to create this angelic kind of sound. And that's one that we, I did a little more uniquely. I layered a lot of vocals to kind of create the effect of truly angels and um, and hopefully other people will have that same sentiment too. Yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, you and Grace have a precious little baby girl. We do. And as a musician with a pharmacy background, uh, your wife has a medical background. Uh, you're looking at this little girl, and she's around instruments and recording studios, and she's her mom and dad involved in church. What do you want her and other children you guys might have uh, to grow up with uh, watching you and your love for Christ and using your gifts, talent, skills to the next generation? I think, um, well, first and foremost, we want her to come to know Christ, and we want to be that example for her uh, more than anything, really. Um, and I think we exemplify that just also in just what we do and how we um, do things with excellence because Christ wanted us to do things with excellence, I believe. It's just um, our, he's given us passions. He's given stuff in your heart, and, and I want to, whatever that passion is for her, um, to use that to seek Christ and also just to use it, just to do it really well, just to focus on it. I think... Um, Sometimes you don't know what the end goal is when you're when you're good at like say you're you, you feel inclined to do something you feel good at like if you're good at music maybe someone's good at a sport um, could be good at writing a lot of different things but um, you're like well how am I going to use this for Christ how am I going to use this to make money or make a living like so you kind of dismiss it a lot of times and what I've seen. Um, evidence in my life and in people's lives around me that I've been with is if you just take that passion, sometimes it's just a little seed of passion and you love something, you're going to do it really well. You're going to devote yourself to doing it really well and develop it. And sometimes you don't know what the end result of what that is. Like what exactly am I going to be doing with that? Um, but getting, if you, if you develop it, get good at it. And so then you have something in your hand, you have something that you can do or something that you're really good at. Um, when those opportunities present themselves, like if somebody says, Hey, we have this opportunity in this ministry for you to be involved in because you're good at that. Um, you're ready. Mm -hmm. You'll be ready mm -hmm. instead of sometimes thinking about, okay, I want to get that job, so I'm going to work towards getting that job. Because sometimes things don't always lead to that. And, and if you can just focus on doing what you're passionate about, getting really good at those things, um, if you kind of are always uh, just enthralled in those things and around those things, and um, those, those doors, sooner or later, I feel, at least from my experience, they tend to open. And if you're ready for that, it makes things so mm. so much easier. You're you're able to step through that door, and then people will always ask you the question, "Well, how did you do this?" And and the and there's never an easy answer because right. th there was never a formula to it. It's just following the passion that you have. Everyone's story is going to be different. I think it was Van Cliburn. I'm not sure. Uh, someone asked him, "What does it take to become a world class pianist?" Uh -huh. He said eight hours of practice every day. Yeah. <laughs> and no one will ever do it. <laughs> yeah. And and if memory serves, the first hour was just scales. Yeah. So, you know, what, what's the, the uh, thing we hear now? It's almost cliche. You have to do it 10,000 hours before you're you know, right. proficient or an expert at, at X or Y. And there's something to be said. I mean, even in writing messages, I was talking to a friend of mine not long ago. You know, I've been writing sermons for 38 plus years now. And there's there's something there. It's it's not this this can sound sound pretentious, but there's something there when you've written music. You don't sit at a keyboard to think. 
there's certain things that are as automatic now because you've done it so long, the mm. neuro, neuroplasticity, the way our brains retain. And when I open a passage, I kind of know where I need to go. And I know I don't know that part. i got to study that word. I need to do some homework. This is a theological problem I have to figure out before I talk about this. I don't understand why Peter went off in this, you know, So, but I know where to go. The accumulation of those repetitive skills of keyboard, bass, you know, playing an instrument, mm -hmm. uh, pharmacy. I mean, anything we do, right? So... I guess what I'm trying to sum up is to say for all of us, you know, God's given us certain wirings, talents, interests. You've used the word passion a lot in our conversation. Uh, if you love what you do, it's a lot more fun mm -hmm. to get up every day. You don't have to, you, you don't think about the van breaking down and all that <laughs> the crazy yeah, stuff. Change the, change the uh, bearings on the trailer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dave Gazarian, a.k.a. Dave Ian, and Hannah's going to tell you about how to access these great Christmas albums. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks it's for having fun. me. This was awesome. Yeah. I always I enjoy talking right, with man. you. Blessings. Thank you. Michael mentioned, we have a really fun offer for you today. Dave has generously donated 50 sets of his Christmas albums. And so we are able to offer those albums to the first 50 folks who donate $50 or more on our website. So for a $50 donation, we will send you all of Dave's Christmas albums that you will love. Keep them for yourself. Give them away as a gift. And as you know, In Context is fully funded by listener donations. So all of your donations go to putting on in context, all of the admin that goes on behind it and every size gift truly helps. But how fun you could give $50 today. If you go on our website, michaelincontext.com under resources and then shop. And as always, I'll make sure that link is in the show notes. There you'll find the Christmas albums that you can get for a donation of $50. So we're excited to offer that to you and grateful for Dave and his gift to In Context.